and I'm sure many of the wealthy folks had heard whispers and, and maybe more than whispers, rumors, gossip of this Jesus. He may be John the Baptist come back from the dead. He could be Elijah the prophet come back just like the prophets used to tell us before the very last prophet was silent. And so the entire city is shaken with the coming of this carpenter's son from a redneck town out in the country. John 12, 9 through 11. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there, and they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. And this is just so heartbreaking to consider the evil of these Pharisees. I, I do always forget every, every year until we get back to it that so many people were there to see Lazarus, who's already been brought back from the dead. They probably just wanted to touch him because the Sadducees would teach that there was no resurrection from the dead. And here's proof that that is false. They'd heard it in the old stories that prophets would raise people from the dead, and here was Lazarus walking with the man who raised him from the dead, and they left the Pharisees, and that's really the truth of it. You get to see who someone is when they lose followers. Could be their fault. Might not be. I know I struggled for years as a pastor, as just a part of a church in general. Growing up in the church, when someone would leave the church, it, it hurts the whole body. And, and it just feels like a cut. And why would you leave? So we can feel, we can empathize with these Pharisees. Why would you leave me for this guy? Um, but it's not healthy to cling on to it. It's not healthy to hate who they go see. It's not healthy to to inwardly think, is this my fault? And what did I do? I messed up. And if it is, it is. And you deal with it. But these Pharisees just hate absolutely anyone who will take people's eyes off of them. And here's Jesus talking to the Pharisees, Matthew 21, 28 through 32. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go, work today in my vineyard. And the son answered and said, I will not. But afterward he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second son and said, Likewise. And the second son answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? The Pharisees said to him, The first. Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But tax collectors and harlots believed him. And when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Now, when the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking of them. Oh, wait, what? You're talking about me? And they're in public? This is the one place they care the most about perception. The crowds see these Pharisees being called out and being called less than tax collectors and harlots. And that must have just shaken them with rage. I could see them frothing at the mouth and their eyes go red. But when they sought to lay hands on him in verse 46, they feared the multitudes because they took him for a prophet. 
their response to holiness was hatred. And there'll be times if you're out with your family and you pray over food, you get someone crack a joke or someone shake their head or someone sneer. There'd be plenty of times where you say, hey, I'll pray for you and, and just get a bad reaction. But Jesus was used to rejection. And I think one of the greatest obstacles in the way of Christians sharing their faith is the fear of rejection. But if our Savior will be rejected by evil people and by the same people that said, here comes the son of David, hallelujah, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, then why can't we? If Jesus was going to do it. And you're never going to face a greater rejection than being beaten and mocked and put up on a cross. Just a little just perspective on what really matters in your life. What do you really fear? So we have godly wisdom straight from the Bible. The truth hurts. Because I love you, I'm going to tell you, stop lying. And the spiritual wisdom, the overly spiritual, the pharisaical one is, well, it's not really about the lying. You're just upset, and so you didn't mean to, and that's okay. And we're just going to cover that up for you. Jesus loves you. God loves you still. Or stop stealing. These are the basic. Repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The basic things. And what the world will say, what the spiritual will say is, well, I understand. You just don't have what you deserve. You deserved that. Or you just didn't have enough. You didn't have what they had, and they didn't deserve to have what they have anyway. So you should have the right to take it from them. Don't commit adultery. And the advice that Christian people will give other Christian people, I've seen it a sickening amount of times when adultery happens. The one who committed adultery will be able to find friends in many churches that will say, well, you were basically forced into it. It's not your fault. He's just an awful man, or she's just the worst. You need to find someone who makes you really happy. And when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. Hmm. Sorry, I had technical difficulty, I think. Um, when Jesus says, no one comes to the Father except through me, he means it. It's not just try Jesus out, and if it doesn't work for you, then you don't have to. That's fine. It's count the cost. Do you really enjoy what your life has given you? Are you just going to follow another path of short-term happiness until that runs dry and find another one and another one and another one? Jesus says, give up your life for my sake, and you will find life said it oh maybe too many times but when you give up your life for the sake of Jesus for the for the cross for Christ's sake you don't get something worse you get something infinitely better that's the gospel we're sharing if you want to really be happy if you want to try and find true joy if you want to be untouchable in any circumstance we have a savior who can bring an untouchable love and joy and peace and forgiveness to us it's better than what you have i promise you we don't have to doubt and and kind of 
wheedle our way into someone's logic. We can just say, just try talking to God. See what happens. Be honest with yourself. Do you really have everything you need? Is that what your heart tells you? Are you okay with dying? And you need those relationships to have these conversations. So it's not like you need to say this to strangers, although some people are gifted at that. But there is godly wisdom and there is spiritual wisdom. Spiritual wisdom always leaves you plenty of options. Godly wisdom will say, this is the truth. This is sin or this is good. Repent. It's, it's more simple and yet so much more challenging. Spiritual wisdom will shy away from challenge, shy away from that forceful truth. So Jesus comes into Jerusalem and he brings embarrassment to the Pharisees. He brings embarrassment to the tax collectors, to those in the temple selling their wares and trying to make money off what should be holy. And he exposes the Pharisees to everyone in that crowd. And everyone loved it. The subdued people were being brought to life because Jesus had arrived. This man who challenges those that we thought were the righteous ones. Spiritual oppressors were facing true religion for maybe the first time. And they were exposed as the loveless people they were. And, and that's kind of what Jesus is talking about when he talks about the fruit. And we can still see it today. Um, I went to a lot of churches growing up. And there are just certain people who have all of the verses memorized. Um, have given the most out of everyone. They're respected. And you just can't as a child figure out why. The guy's just mean. He's mean to his wife. Why does everyone like this guy? Why is everyone so nice to him? And then... Every single time you look back and you and you ask whatever happened to that guy, they crumble, they fall apart. It can't last for long. You cannot remain loveless and be around Jesus' people without being exposed. His message was repentance and forgiveness and turning. And he constantly said to people that he encountered, go and sin no more. That's the challenge. That's the goal that's the desire of our heart. We hate sin. We should hate sin. It brings only death. For that short time that may bring pleasure or fulfillment or, or peace, but we know it fades so fast. And that's just a good thing to take from Christ in this time of, of triumph and this day where we remember that the Savior is coming. Is that good challenge? We have more than just excuses for why we aren't following Jesus the way we want to be. We have a Savior who can help us follow Him. And I just pray right now that each one of us, and not to focus on negative, but that we would acknowledge the negative parts of our life in this isolation that we're faced with that, and acknowledge that that's what's adding to our anxiety. Not, not so much the isolation, but we have these these places in our life, in our, in our selfishness, in our, our lust or our, our deception or our, our laziness or gluttony that affect our hearts. Or else we could say with Paul, I have learned to be content in all circumstances. 
So take on those things. Give up that burden. Give up that sin and be free. Jesus turned Jerusalem upside down. He turned tables upside down, stagnant religion, hearts, lives, Pharisees were all flipped over, stirred up and changed forever. Do you remember when Jesus last turned you upside down and shook out all the junk and turned you right back up? Can you think of a place in your life, in your heart, in your relationship with him or others that you've kept away from him? And here's the truth of it. Just like those people knew when they were faced with him, we know he has power. They knew that here was a man with the Spirit of God on him. And we know more than that. We know he's God himself. He's Savior. You know he can break that power of whatever's holding you back. And we choose not to. We choose not to go to him because it's almost like this just in case or it's just so much easier than opening that Bible and praying or confessing or forgiving just or just instituting a daily spiritual habit that you've always wanted to and avoided. And here's a great time for us to put those things into practice that we've always wanted to do. We've got nothing but time right now. And so when you have God's presence in a city in a person in, in, a, in your heart, and you have his wisdom, it will always, every time it will point to Jesus, even rocks would cry out. It exposes spiritual people. You have a God that is walking so closely with you that he wants to expose those things to yourself. He may do it in public, and that's one of the worst case scenarios. Why not just open the word? Why not just ask, Lord, expose me to myself? I want to see what I'm like. I want to see the trappings that I've put up to cover over my hurts or my guilt or my sins that I kind of want to cling to. And then we have a God, thankfully, when we're exposed and vulnerable to him, his goal isn't to say, ha, I told you you were prideful. He already knows that. He restores you to himself constantly. That's sanctification. That's renewing your mind. You don't have to fear when you come to God. We, it says approach the throne boldly. And so in this time that we have just so many things to think about, think on things that are good and pure. Have those moments where you look out and it's sunny outside. We're supposed to have a good week coming up. And you just thank God. The, the only way we're going to battle against depression and anxiety and fear and doubt is to live thankfully, to, to appreciate what we do have. There's so many countries that have it much worse than us. But not only that, we have eternity ahead of us. So find a way, find a pattern, find a habit, find a moment each day or, or an hour or whatever you can to put your eyes on Jesus to point to him, to expose those parts that need to be exposed in your heart and to be restored each day and to be renewed. Because I've, I just got a chance to baptize a friend and he's having ups and downs, a lot of downs right now and, and a lot of things challenging him that are coming up. But 
I, it's so easy to forget that while we're stuck here at home, um, God's still moving. God's still working. It's sort of like in the Chronicles of Narnia when the queen of the north has the whole land frozen and on pause. What's been happening the whole time is that it says like Aslan is on the move. That's what God is doing right now. I can't wait to see what he's doing. And personally, for your family, for your own heart, every time you give up a stronghold that you've kept from him, the kingdom of heaven advances a little more and a little more. And by the time we get out of this isolation, we can be ready to be a church like we've always dreamed of. And I'm, I'm praying that every church in this area and in, in the world, every Christian heart, while we're on this stasis, this isolation, that we would just step out of it when it's over and be ready to serve, be ready to love, be ready to just be thankful and share the joy of Christ and to advance the kingdom of heaven. But you can do that right here, right now, in your own home. And there's a question I had right away, getting into the word, and I've heard it in different ways so many times. If God made a world where the people in it are so weak and unable to resist evil, then how are we supposed to save ourselves? Why would you put us in this situation? We're not. We're not supposed to save ourselves. And the response is, well, that's not fair. How are we going to get out of here? We have a Savior who will do it. In John 11, this is the Pharisees scheming and plotting. And, and one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people and not the whole nation, and not that the whole nation should perish. perish. He had no idea he was speaking the absolute truth. They're worried that Rome will start to pay attention, like think an uprising is happening and that they're all going to die. But he just spoke the gospel that one man should die for the people and not that the whole nation should perish. Isaiah 53, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. And we, we went through Zechariah, but I just want to read these straight through. And we'll just finish with Scripture. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its, its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. And I will pour on the house of David... And on the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the spirit of grace and supplication, then they will look on me whom they have pierced. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. In Matthew 20, verse 17, Now Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples aside on the road and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify. And as we head towards Good Friday, Jesus now sets his eyes toward the cross he had waited to face from before the foundations of the earth. Philippians 2.8 And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Psalm twenty-two, sixteen: For dogs have surrounded me, 
The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Father, as I just think about Palm Sunday and the joy that everyone was caught up in, I think about those times in our life when everything just seems so great. And you just think about the, the direction our country was headed in before this virus hit the world. Uh, the economy was booming. Everybody was getting jobs. It just seemed like prosperity was unstoppable. And then wham, we're just stopped in our tracks, Lord. And reminded that we're not that big. And we're, we're not actually powerful. We're not in control. So Lord, in this time, help us to Realize the truth, to give in to the truth that we never were in control. Lord, you are. And we pray in your sovereign power that you would continue to bless this nation and to heal this nation and to watch out for Christians around the world. We think of those in Burawanga that we know um, and in Africa that we support and Ukraine and just protect them. Pray for the churches around this area, for the pastors to keep pushing to bless their sheep and I just thank you so much, Jesus, that we can advance your kingdom in our own hearts, in our own homes, in our own families. We thank you, Lord, that the war is already won, and we want to march this week with you to the cross and think of, of what it was like for you knowing what was to come. And we want to cry out with Peter, Lord, that'll never happen. I'll never let that happen. But it had to happen, Lord, because we were not made to be alone, to be without your spiritual strength. We thank you, Jesus, that you have brought that back to us. We can't wait for eternity. And Lord, help us to not be able to wait for tomorrow and the next day in this salvation with you. In your name, Jesus, amen.